Romans 10 verses 9 through 13, these are God's words. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. This ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Well, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart... Uh, but uh, it's not saying that the believing or the confessing are somehow earning or counted worthy of salvation. Uh, we must remember where the believing and the confessing came from. Uh, and in last week's portion, you remember the apostle was showing from Deuteronomy 30 that that salvation is not something that happens by or that is obtained by our efforts but that God is the one who doesn't put it high on the mountain or who doesn't put it far away on the sea, but God brings it near. God puts it in our mouth. God puts it in our hearts. And so that helps us to understand that this believing and this confessing is not somehow, if you do this, you will earn this. But if God has brought this word into your mouth to confess, if God has brought this word into your heart to believe. Then he who, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, <coughs> how much more, having been reconciled in his son, shall we be saved from his wrath? You remember that all the way back from chapter 5. And so, God who has brought his word near now, another thing that he did uh, before we were united to Christ and justified, and made right with God, right before God. If God who brought his word near and put his word in our heart and put his word in our mouth, then surely he will finish the whole, the whole work of salvation. Uh, and so we are sure that God is the one who does it. And yet, this does not mean that we are inactive. The virtue, the goodness, and the power, the ability, do not come from us. They come from God. But we do genuinely use our mouths and use our hearts. So verse 10, in the context and under the umbrella of God bringing his salvation near, affirms to us, assures us, that we must... Uh, confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. He actually goes in the opposite direction now. Heart first, mouth second. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the Lord uh, does not tell us to figure out or wait for if we can detect that he is helping us, that he is... Uh, doing this. Rather, we know from his word that he himself has the power and gives it to us as we do it. 
and that his word has the power to produce faith, which is what he's going to come to uh, in the next uh, section when he says, faith comes by hearing. Uh, but here, uh, he he tells us just that we must believe with the heart and we must confess with the mouth. Now, we probably live in an age in which we hear this idea of believing with the heart a lot. Uh, sincerity, authenticity, uh, whatever. Uh, and when they say believing with the heart, they mean really, really, really feel that you are believing uh, when you believe. Uh, and so we may slip into the idea that uh, every time that we uh, feel it a little bit more, that somehow um, that is more effective. Uh, but here, believing with the heart means believing with the control center of your being. The heart as the location of thinking, feeling, and choosing. The intellect, the affections, and the will. Uh, and so we are to be uh, convinced of the truth, and we are to be moved in ourselves by the truth, and we ourselves are to be compelled by the truth. And so we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we shouldn't make too much of the fact that believing in the heart uh, is here associated with the resurrection uh, in the second half of verse 9, and confessing with the mouth is associated with the incarnation and with the deity of our Lord Jesus. Confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We shouldn't make too much of it, but he does associate one with the other. Uh, and so uh, the reality by which we need to be gripped in our hearts, not now, only having believed in Jesus and having that faith accounted as righteousness with Jesus himself as our righteousness, so that uh, with him as our righteousness, his righteousness is counted as ours. But here, this is talking about believing unto salvation, uh, the completion of that work. Now, the salvation of someone who has been brought to faith is sure, that's sure from the moment that he is saved. There is now no condemnation for the one who has faith in Christ Jesus, and there can be no separation for that person from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus. But here especially, he is talking about that salvation that is nearer than when we first believed. Uh, to quote just a few chapters from now in chapter 13, the completion of that uh, of that work that he determined to do when those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son which we are not yet conformed to uh, his image although praise god it is a work in progress but as he does that work in us we also walk by faith we walk as those who are convinced in our intellect in our thoughts that we are united with a man. A man who is the second person of the Godhead who became a man and lived and died and rose again from the dead and sits on the throne of glory. 
and he is bound to us, and we are bound to him, and it all makes sense. That is truth. That is reality. And not only is it truth, it is moving truth. He has brought us to love him because he first loved us. And being united to him means that we cannot be separated from God's loving us, which the end of Romans 8 um, declares, which of course is what moves our hearts to love him. We love him. When we're called according to his purpose, he doesn't just give uh, light to our minds, he gives life uh, to our hearts. And so we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. It's with our heart that we believe intellect, affection, and will. And so we are compelled in our life by the present reality of a resurrected Jesus whom we are serving who is re- who is interceding for us now and returning for us at the right time and the due time. We belong to him. We don't belong to this world. We serve him in this world. This world is under his, uh, his authority. It's under his dominion. We serve him here. Um, but this is not the world that we were saved to inherit. We're going to inherit a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we are sons and daughters of righteousness now. And so we must believe with the heart. The Christian life has lived with these convictions of heart with respect to our intellect, with respect to our affections, with respect uh, to our will. But not only with the heart do we believe, but with the mouth we confess unto salvation. Now this is uh, this is perhaps not so emphasized these days in the churches that we are not only uh, to believe but we are to confess, we are to speak, our mouths are made for the praise of God and for the edification uh, of others and he has given us the families in which we live and with whom we have, first of all, the great fellowship of worship, which we are enjoying now, right, Sophia? The great fellowship of worship, we're worshiping together now. And uh, then at other times, the lesser fellowships of working together and the lowest fellowship of socializing together. But he has given us this fellowship in which we edify one another by his word, by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord and confessing that uh, that he is our Lord. He is Jesus, the Lord who saves. And similarly, not just in the family, uh, but also in uh, the congregation. And the greatest fellowship we have is a congregation in the public worship, and, uh, even all the way down to socialization what some people call fellowship exclusively. But even in the community where we don't have a fellowship with them, we confess. We confess the Lord Jesus. Now, um, there were times at which everyone in Rome had to say, Caesar Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. And most of them had no problem with that. 
They might even believe in other gods or whatever, but <coughs> they were content uh, to throw Caesar in with them, offer the pinch of incense, say Caesar is Lord, that's fine. But we confess one Lord, Yahweh, who is Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has displayed himself, declared himself, made himself known in the Son, particularly, especially by his incarnation when he came to save. And so we confess one God and one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we of all people are careful of how we use the title Lord, the word God. We're careful how we use the name Jesus and the title Christ. And not just careful in the use of those particular words, but we are intentional about our speech, that we would always speak in such a way that an analysis of our words would show that we believe in one God, the Lord, who made heaven and earth, and that we believe that he is Jesus, and that Jesus is he. This we do because we don't belong to the Roman Empire or the empire of this world, that kingdom of this world, which we will rejoice uh, in that last day from the book of Revelation where we declare the kingdom of this world has been the, become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. We belong to his kingdom. We belong to him. And so we are to believe with the heart. We are to confess with the mouth. And this conviction on the one hand towards God and conversation on the other hand, both in the worship of God, uh, which has a horizontal um, component, especially when we sing, uh, but also outside the worship of God, this conviction and conversation are essential parts uh, of the Christian life. Because the God who saves, he saves through these things. Uh, and no one can think he is saved if he doesn't believe with his heart the uh, divinity of the Lord Jesus uh, and his incarnation, uh, if he doesn't confess, sorry, if he doesn't confess with his mouth the divinity of the Lord Jesus and his incarnation, if he doesn't believe in his heart uh, that God has raised him from the dead. But everyone in whom the Lord has genuinely done that work, everyone of those will be saved. Now verses 11 through 13, quote from two places in the Old Testament to show that this has always been true in the first place uh, of salvation by the Lord, even before uh, we knew the God-man, even before we, even before the incarnation was widely understood. Uh, verse 11 quotes from Isaiah 28, which has already been quoted from, here, and which God in his providence has recently brought us through in our study of Isaiah. And verse 13 quotes from the end of Joel chapter 2, which not too long ago we had preaching through the book of Joel, uh, and even also um, 
not that long ago, within the last couple of years, we had preaching of Acts 2, in which the end of Joel was fulfilled. And so in verse 11, uh, he reminds us uh, in Isaiah 28, which you remember as he talks about himself being the cornerstone that is laid in Zion, uh, and there are many who are going to stumble over and be offended, but whoever believes in him, whoever rests upon the cornerstone, instead of stumbling over the cornerstone, will not be put to shame. And he is uh, referring to himself, Yahweh in Isaiah 28, is referring to himself. He's picking up language by which he had referred to himself back in chapter 8 when he had corrected Ahaz by uh, by the prophet Isaiah. And Ahaz uh, was hoping in himself and hoping in the alliance that he was making with Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria to protect himself against the alliance to the north and Ephraim and Syria. Uh, and uh, And... God, Yahweh, by his prophet, had offered himself to be Ahaz's defense and told him to ask for a sign. And Ahaz had pretended to be really spiritual and said, no way, I wouldn't ask for a sign. But you remember then in, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, uh, the Lord had, um, after he had rebuked Ahaz, uh, he turns to his prophet Isaiah himself uh, and tells Isaiah not to follow in the mindset of Ahaz, and of course, all who who would receive the same word with Isaiah, not to follow in that mindset, not to trust um, in what Ahaz was doing or in Tiglath-Pileser or anything other than the Lord Himself. Uh, and so, this certainty that God Himself was the only one in whom we should trust, and that He saves us from start to finish. There's no Lord but Yahweh, uh, and uh, he will save us from start to finish. That was something that is not new when the Lord Jesus comes. We just know with more fullness and more clarity who God is and how he does this. Uh, but that was that was always true. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so the Lord brings his word near in the heart and in the mouth, as he says in Deuteronomy 30, and everyone to whom he gives that faith will most certainly receive the fullness of his salvation, Isaiah 28. But it's not just for the Jews. Although Deuteronomy 30 was a covenant document with Israel under Moses, and the prophecy of Isaiah uh, came to um, especially Judea, But, as we saw several times in the opening sections of Isaiah, uh, to which we have been referring, and we will see again several times in the closing sections of Isaiah, the salvation that was offered for the Jews would uh, also come to the nations who are gathered in, grafted in, to the shoot that came from the stump of Jesse, who were brought to be subjects of the promised king and deliverer who somehow is both uh, son uh, of David and yet Yahweh himself. And, of course, Jesus is the ultimate answer to how that is true. Uh, And in order to uh, make that point that Isaiah makes, uh, which, of course, is already behind verse 11, he adds in verse 13 the quote from Joel chapter 2. 
Joel chapter 2 at the end of the chapter, talking about the great day of the Lord's salvation, uh, where he says he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, and whoever called on the name of Yahweh should be saved. Uh, showing that uh, not only was this salvation always entirely by God's work, always entirely by faith, but it was always expected to come to the nations, especially in a great day. And by the time Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, of course, they know, they've heard of that wonderful sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost, in which the Spirit, by Peter, identified that as the day that he was being poured out on all flesh, and now this as the season in which God would save in the same way he always has, not now just primarily from among the Jews, but from among all of the nations he would do this. And now he has waited to do this until he has revealed himself in his son, the Lord Jesus. <coughs> and that is the um, the explanation in verse 12 for tying the quote from Isaiah 28 in verse 11 to the quote from Joel chapter 2 in verse 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all, Lord over the Jews, Lord over the Greeks, one Yahweh, we confess with our mouth the Lord. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord, the Lord Jesus. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. He shows the riches of his glory. To use the language back from uh, chapter 9, verse 23, that he's picking up here. He endured patiently. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He still is enduring patiently. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Because he loves to show the riches of the glory of his mercy in Jesus Christ. And those to whom, into whom, he is placing his word into their hearts, his word into their mouths. The conviction in their hearts that Jesus is raised from the dead, that they by faith are joined to a resurrected Savior who is returning again and uh, who confess with their mouths that this resurrected Savior is the one true God who became a man, the God-man, to save us, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you live in that Conviction, not just that you understand these things and can repeat them, but that you're convinced in your mind. God himself became a man and he lived and died and rose again and he sits on the throne of heaven. And if you believe in him, you're joined to him. And that he did it out of love for you and to produce love for himself in you and to compel you to live a life uh, that belongs to a king and a kingdom, a kingdom in particular that will is yet to come in fullness. So believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Use your mouth as someone who belongs to the one true God who became a man for us, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit would help us, that you would apply this portion of your word to us.
that we might be more and more able to perceive that you are indeed doing this work in us by your Son who sits on the throne of glory now and has resurrected humanity as the God-man. And we pray, Lord, that as you do so, your Spirit would also uh, come near, put this portion of your word in our hearts and in our mouths, that we might be sure that you will complete our salvation. You will sanctify us fully. You will gather us to Christ, perfect holiness. You will raise our bodies gloriously from the dead. We pray that you would make us sure of all of our salvation and thereby bring us at last into our everlasting blessedness in you, in him. By the work of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.